This message was presented at the GYC 2012 conference in Seattle, Washington. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. How's your afternoon going? Are you awake? I hope you're awake. I know we just ate a really good lunch. But my name is Mindy Ron, and I teach at Southern Adventist University. And myself, as well as Paul Howe and Petra Howe, they're right there, wave to everyone. (laughs) Very good. We are going to be presenting a seminar called Power to Change the World, Jesus, Arabic, and Kale. And I'm going to be doing the first session um, this afternoon on human rights and the gospel. So let's start with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jesus Christ and his love. Lord, I thank you so much that he died for every single person in this room. And as we behold Christ, we become changed. Lord, I just ask that you take the words that I'm going to speak today and just fill me with the Holy Spirit because it's not by might, not by power, but by your Spirit. And I ask that all the people in this room are filled with the Holy Spirit as well. May we have a good time together, Lord. May Jesus Christ be uplifted. But ultimately, may we take what is said today and through the power of your spirit, apply it to our lives so that we can serve others for your glory, Lord. Um, Thank you so much in advance um, for just blessing now. In Jesus' name, amen. So human rights and the gospel. A girl falls in love with a boy. She is Pakistani, only 16 years old. He, a bit older, is originally from India. One day, the boy asked the girl to accompany him to his native land. Like any girl, if you're in love with a boy, she happily consents, leaving her family and friends behind, desiring just to be with her beloved. After their long journey is complete, the boy takes the girl to a large house, hands her over to complete strangers, and promises to soon return. He never does. He never does. Shocked, betrayed, heartbroken, the girl realizes that she has been sold to a brothel and that she must perform sexual services to pay off her debt. She staunchly refuses to participate in such acts until being beaten and tortured, she ultimately complies. A few months later, she is taken to the doctor for a health exam. She tests positive for HIV. Guys, this is a true story. I heard it at the United Nations 10 years ago. I'd never heard about human trafficking before, but this is a human rights issue. I'm walking down a path in Malawi, Africa. Has anyone in here been to Malawi, Africa? I know Petra has. So I'm walking down a path in Malawi, Africa. To my right are these beautiful eucalyptus trees. There's tea plantations everywhere, and they're electric green. The sky is blue. However, as I continue to walk, I see on this side of me that there's kids washing their utensils in a ditch of dirty water. On the other side, I see these people that are barefoot, have hardly any clothes on. This is poverty. My destination was a lady, Mrs. Gopani, and the lighting is not the best in here right now, but if you look closely, you can see that her hands are nubs. 
Her feet are nubs. She had leprosy back in the 1950s and 1960s and was treated at Malamulo Sanitarium, a Seventh-day Adventist institution at that time period. She lives by herself. She lives in a little teeny mud hut, and when it rains, it's a mud floor. She's just in a soup of mud. This is how she's living. She has a fire inside of her house, and it has soot everywhere. She is growing her own vegetable garden. She has to go get her water herself. She has to go several kilometers away. And basically, she walks like a monkey because of the leprosy that has affected her body. Guys, this is poverty, and this is a human rights issue. I walk into a big ward at Malamulo Hospital in Malawi. It's a malnutrition ward, and there are scores and scores of mothers and babies. You can't really see this baby, precious, precious child. But when you look into these babies' eyes, it's just like they're dead. They're lifeless because of malnutrition. They're they're anemic. Their hair is yellow, etc. As these babies get food and as they grow, etc., life comes back into their eyes. Guys, this is hunger, and this is a human rights issue. But the question is, what are human rights? And what in the world are we as Seventh-day Adventist Christians supposed to do with human rights issues? Should we even get involved? So first of all, human rights. Human rights are rights regarded as fundamentally belonging to all people. It's pretty basic. They're rights because we're all humans. But where in the world did human rights phraseology come from? Well, what happened was, after World War II and the Holocaust in the 1940s, a group of people got together and they created an organization known as United Nations in 1945. How many of you guys have heard of the United Nations before? Okay. So they created the United Nations, and one of the reasons for the United Nations was to avert a World War III and to avert another Holocaust. And so as such, they decided to include human rights phraseology in the UN Charter. And they decided to create a document known as the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. How many of you guys have actually heard of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights? I see a couple of my former students in here, so hopefully at least a couple people have heard of this before. So Eleanor Roosevelt actually spearheaded this drive. And they came up with this document. It took two years to create. And here are some of the rights that are included. And there's 30 rights in all. Article 5 says, No one should be subjected to torture or to cruel, inhumane, or degrading treatment. Article 9, No one shall be subjected to arbitrary arrest, detention, or exile. Article 15, everyone has the right to a nationality. How many of you guys appreciate actually having a nationality? Me too. We have passports. We can cross borders. Guys, this is huge. Article 18, which should be very important for Seventh-day Adventist Christians, everyone has the right to freedom of thought, conscience, and religion. Does everyone in the world today have this freedom? Oh, no. Oh, no. Article 25, everyone has the right to a standard of living, adequate for the health and well-being of himself and of his family, including food, clothing, houses, medical care, and necessary social services. Article 26, everyone has the right to education. Do these rights sound good? 
Do you appreciate having these rights? I know I appreciate having these rights here in the United States. So what happened was, after the creation of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights in the 1960s, in the 1970s, in the 1980s, human rights and human rights issues came to the forefront of society, and people started caring about human rights issues. We have organizations such as Amnesty International. How many of you guys have heard of Amnesty? Human Rights Watch. These organizations were formed to monitor human rights issues around the world based on this universal declaration of human rights. Can I be honest with you this morning? My senior year in college, I could have cared less about these issues. I could have cared less. All I thought about was myself, shopping, going to the movies, going to the mall, etc. I didn't really care that other people around the world were actually suffering. However, the Lord was merciful to me and got a hold of me in Costa Rica as I was a student missionary, and I found the Lord as I was picking raisins out of a raisin bran box and reading the Bible. The Word of God became a living, active Word cutting to my heart and my soul. And so after that summer, when the Lord changed my heart, he put me at the United Nations, and I did an internship there. And it rocked my world 180 degrees. I learned that people in Turkmenistan were being tortured, etc., and that there was a dictatorship there. How many of you guys have heard of Turkmenistan before? I hadn't either. I was like, there's a country of Turkmenistan? I learned that there's child soldiers in Uganda fighting six, seven years old. I learned about human trafficking in Thailand, okay? And at the United Nations, human rights has basically become a secular religion. But again, my question to you guys is this. As Seventh-day Adventists, should we care? Should we be involved? The secular world is, should we care? So let's look at the foundation for human rights from a secular perspective. And if you guys have any questions about this afterwards, please feel free to ask because I'm happy to talk about this. So basically, this is taken from Universal Human Rights in Theory and Practice by Jack Donnelly. And from a secular perspective, human rights are based on a moral vision of human nature. What does that mean? It's deciding, I'm going to look at you through morals rather than not looking at you through morals. It's saying human rights have no foundation but are a social decision. Okay, so let's say that me and this young lady here on the front row in the turquoise type, Liz, hi Liz. Okay, let's say that we are on an island together by ourselves, okay? And there's a limited amount of food. We could either decide to fight each other to the death for this food, or we could decide socially, hey, let's treat each other nicely and let's work together. But we're deciding this. It has no foundation. Are you with me? Also, human rights shape laws so as to shape human beings. So the ultimate goal is to enact laws so as to affect human beings. What's really interesting is in this book, Universal Human Rights in Theory and in Practice, the author actually says this, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights shapes mankind in its image. Where does that come from, that phraseology? Genesis, right? Genesis 1, we're created in the image of God. So this is, from a secular perspective, no foundation. We're just getting together and deciding that these things actually should be. But let's go to a biblical perspective now. 
I suggest to you guys that the Lord blessed us with abundant human rights in the Garden of Eden. What are some of these rights that he gave us as we were living in a perfect world, in a perfect relationship with a perfect God? Well, for one, he gave us a perfect environment. How many of you guys would like to live in a perfect environment today? I know I would. He gave us companionship. Okay, we're social creatures. He gave us food. He gave us work. He gave us rest. He gave us clean water, etc. But what was the basis for all of this? We were in a perfect relationship with God. That was the basis for it. That was the foundation. And he blessed us because of this perfect relationship with God. And then what happens in Genesis 3? We have the temptation and fall of man. And we have the heinous human rights abuses that we see all around the world today as a result of what, everyone? Sin which is separation from God. So let me detail just a few of the human rights abuses that are happening around the world today. And these are based on rights that are listed in the Universal Declaration. First of all, water and sanitation. How many of you guys appreciate being able to drink clean water? How many of you guys thank the Lord every day for water? It's a huge blessing. 783 million people around the world do not have access to safe water. Okay? So if we look at this, this because of this, 700,000 children die every year from diarrhea. How many children, everyone? 700,000. This is about 2,000 children every day dying just because of diarrhea. 2.5 billion people do not have access to adequate sanitation facilities. How many of you guys, every time you go to the bathroom, just thank and praise the Lord? 2.5 billion people do not have access to that. That's huge. How many of you have ever gone without water or proper sanitation? Is it a pleasant experience? No. When I was at Malamulo Hospital... For one stretch of time, our water went out for five days. Um, at first, it was kind of fun, and it was an adventure, but afterwards, it gets kind of gross. You don't take a shower, you don't wash your hands, you don't flush the toilet. We actually had toilets, etc. And it was very inconvenient, especially at a hospital, where a lot of the procedures and sanitation are based on clean water. Another issue, hunger. Hunger. 870 million people do not have enough to eat. 98% of these are in the developing world. This little guy is puffed up. It's another kid from the malnutrition ward at Malamulo Hospital. And this is what's heartbreaking. Five million children under the age of five die every year because of hunger. That's about 13,700 per day, according to UNICEF. 13,700 per day. Okay, how many people are at GYC? A couple thousand, right? So multiply that and dying per day because of hunger. Have any of you guys experienced hunger before? Have you fasted? How do you feel? Grumpy? Like you could strangle someone after a while? You know, your blood sugar drops, etc.? I praise the Lord that our Lord and Savior Jesus fasted for us for 40 days, right? But these people don't have to be fasting. They don't have to be fasting. 
Next, healthcare. Healthcare. There's a huge disparity of healthcare in our world today. For example, in Ethiopia, where Paul and Petra served for four years, there's about three doctors per 100,000 people. Three doctors per 100,000 people. Malawi, two doctors per 100,000 people. Madagascar, how many, everyone? Three doctors per 100,000 people. So let's go over to the United States. How many do we have per 100,000 people? 2,300. Norway, 4,000. Australia, 3,000. Is this a disparity? Does it matter? Do those people, are they worth less than us? No, absolutely not. Let me tell you a story that really changed the way I viewed healthcare. My father is a physician, and a lot of my friends' dads were doctors, etc. And so I thought being in the healthcare profession was making some money, having a nice house, going on nice vacations, having a car, etc. However, I learned that healthcare is the difference between life and death for people around the world. And this is why, because of this story. So I was in Malawi, Africa, at Malamulu Hospital. And I was helping out the chaplain there and doing some grant writing, etc. And I was excited because it was the end of the day of work. I was going to walk up the hill to my house. I was so excited. I was leaving the smells of the hospital behind, the people of the hospital behind. And I was just going to go read, you know, and just be by myself for a while, away from that nasty hospital. And so I get to my house. I settle in. I'm excited for the evening. And something says, you need to go back down to the hospital. An impression. You got to test impressions. But something said, you need to go back. I'm like, uh-uh. I'm not going back. I'm up here. Something said, you need to go. I said, no. Yes, no. And finally, I was like, fine. So I trudged back down the hospital, and I wasn't very happy. And I walked into the female ward of Malamulo Hospital. Hospitals are different there. For example, here you have how many people in a room in a hospital? One, two, etc. We have 20. Everyone's there together. You have people lying on the floor, underneath the beds, etc. Um, you have to bring your own food to the hospital if you're sick. Um, if you don't have anyone to bring you food, you could die of starvation in the hospital. It's just tragic. And so I walk into this room, and there's a girl about my age, and it was only her and her mom in this big room, which was odd. And I walk in, and she's breathing like this. And I'm like, she's having an asthma attack. I know nothing about medical things. I'm not a medical person. And I was like, man, she's having an asthma attack. But something told me you need to pray with her, and you need to pray with her now. And not just now, 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 if you've heard that expression before. And so I went over there, and in the few words that I knew in the local language, Chichewa, I said, do you want to pray? And her mom was behind her, just lifting her up and down, just trying to help her breathe with every ounce. And the girl nodded, yes, yes. And so I prayed in English, and I poured out my heart to the Lord. And I remember saying in this prayer, God, save, save her now. May she know Jesus Christ is her Savior. And I said, amen. She said, amen. And I ran out into the hall. I looked around to see if there was a doctor or a nurse or someone that could help. She needed oxygen. I didn't know. She just needed help. I came back. She was dead. She was dead. This was the first time in my life that I'd ever seen anyone die, and it was shocking. She was slumped over. I went into the corner. I just, I just crumpled up, and I just watched the relatives just flood in. And they started wailing and wailing, etc. Have any of you guys been to Africa and heard the wailing? 
it just, it cuts you to the core, doesn't it? People say, oh, people in Africa, they, they deal with death all the time. No, it hurts them just like it hurts us. We are all human, okay? I trudged back up to my house after that, and I'm like, God, why did you want me to go down there to watch somebody die? But praise the Lord, I was able to pray with her in her last moments. That was a gift to her, but it was also a gift to me and a real education. Later that night, um, Christy Shank, the doctor, she came up there and talked to me. And, you know, we were, she prayed with me in my room because I was pretty shaken up about it. I can't imagine what was going on with the family. And she said, Mindy, she should not have died. She should not have died. If the lab would have gotten the blood results back quick enough, we could have put her on the appropriate intervention and she should not have died. Guys, is there a disparity in health care? Yes. Should it be like that? No. Just because you're born in a different place. So this is definitely a human rights issue. Next, education. And I only have like two more areas. Don't worry. There's hope. We're getting to that. So education. 60.7 children, million children around the world do not attend school, according to the World Bank. So 60.7 million children do not attend school. And this doesn't take into account the resources that schools don't possess. One of my best friends in Malawi, I was walking up the hill again to my house. Things happen when you walk up the hill to your house there. It's great. But this girl, she was about 15 years old. She comes up to me and she says, hi, can I be your friend? And I'm like, sure, let's be friends. I found out that she was an HIV AIDS orphan. Both of her parents had died. And one day, I went and visited her at the school. I looked inside. There were no desks. There were no books. There was no nothing. The teacher was drunk, and all the students were just standing outside, just doing whatever. Okay? So resources. There's definitely a lack of resources for the kids that are even going to school. Finally, and this is an issue that is near and dear to my heart, human trafficking. Human trafficking. Guys, did you know that there are now more people enslaved in this world than any other time in history? Did you know that? Yes, our population is larger right now than any other time in history, but slavery is alive today. According to Harvard's Carr Center, there are 29 million people enslaved right now. 29 million people enslaved. Does, is this just in Thailand? Is this just in India? Get this. To Western Europe, 500,000 women are trafficked in every year. 500,000 women, according to Amnesty International. What about the U.S.? Could this be an issue here? 50,000 women are trafficked into the U.S. every year, according to Amnesty International. And human slavery is the second fastest growing black market activity after drugs. It earns $32 billion annually. $32 billion annually. And a lot of these individuals are children. Right now, in Haiti, there are 250,000 children that are in slavery, and largely because of poverty. And in a few minutes, I'm going to tell you a story of one of these slaves, which are known as Restaviks. So guys, this is a, just a fraction of the human rights issues in our world today. It's just a fraction. So again, my question is this. As a church, 
individually and corporately, are we called to solve the world's problems? This is going to be maybe a little shocking, but I suggest to you, no. We're actually not called to solve the world's problems. Because you know what's amazing? Somebody already did. And he's doing it right now in the heavenly sanctuary. Who is this? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came and he died for every single person so that we could have eternal life. So how do we as Seventh-day Adventist Christians get involved? I suggest to you that we point the world to its ultimate solution, Jesus Christ. And how do we do this? By serving as Jesus Christ served. Okay? So let's talk about this a little bit. So Matthew 9.35. Matthew 9.35. How did Jesus serve? Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages. And what did he do, everyone? He taught, what else? He preached the gospel of the kingdom and he healed every sickness and every disease among the people. I was thinking about this today. I've seen several people at GYC in wheelchairs and other disabled individuals. What if Jesus were here today and just going around and healing everyone? Would that not be powerful? That would be so powerful. And this was what he did. We serve a good God. Amen. Another verse, Matthew 25, 31 to 40. Matthew 25, 31 to 40. You guys can turn there with me. I know you know these verses, but look at them. They're powerful. Matthew 25, 31 to 40. Are you there? So let's start in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. So when is this, guys? When he comes. So this is the second coming. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another. As a shepherd divides what? Sheep and the goats. And he will set the sheep on what side? The right side. How many of you guys want to be on the right side? Me too. And he sets the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right side, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was what? Hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick. And you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them assuredly, let's all join together. I say to you, and as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Is that not powerful? Whenever we're serving someone else, we're actually serving Jesus Christ. Okay, but there's a little bit of a problem here at times. Because at times, we fall into the trap of the social gospel. How many of you guys have heard of this before? The social gospel. 
So basically, the social gospel is this. Okay, I'm going to give you clothes. I'm going to give you food. I'm going to give you water. I'm going to visit you in prison, but that's good enough. Are those things amazing and a huge blessing? Yes! And when you do it, you're doing it to Jesus Christ. But sometimes, some people can say, evangelism? Who needs evangelism? Why should we even talk about Jesus Christ, right? Because we can do all these other things. Is it great to be doing the activities of Matthew 25? Yes! Amen! But I suggest to you that it's a gospel sandwich. You have Matthew 25... Then you have Matthew 26 and 27. You have the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then you have Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. What is Matthew 28, 18 to 20? It's the Great Commission. And what does it say? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go, baptize, etc., in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I suggest to you, as the Lord leads, we put Matthew 25, and if you stop there, amen, amen, do it, you know, do it, that's amazing. However, as the Holy Spirit leads, we combine that with the Great Commission, which is teaching them all things that the Lord has taught us, because that is what Jesus is calling us to do. Isaiah 58, verses 6 to 8, which are powerful verses. How many of you guys have fasted before? Even like fasting from the internet, you know, for a day, or fasting from sugar. Me too. So a couple weeks ago, I was actually fasting. And to be honest, I was not joyful. (laughs) I was in my office at school, and I was teaching that day. And people were talking to me, and I was feeling a little grumpy. My blood sugar was low, and I was begging the Lord for a certain thing. He just didn't seem to be getting it. Is that the right attitude? No, it was a horrible attitude. And the next um, Sabbath, Pastor David Smith of the Collegedale Church taught on what is a true fast. So guys, what is a true fast? Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of what? Wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free. Is it not to share your bread with who? The hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out. When you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from what? Your own flesh. Then what happens, everyone? Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. How many of you guys would like healing? Serve the world for God's glory, and the Lord brings healing into your life. There's a powerful um, quote that I like. It's from Desire of Ages, page 825. Where there is no active labor for others, love wanes, and faith grows dim. Do you ever see that in your own life? It's not working your salvation, not at all. But when you're not laboring for others, I know in my own life I can feel that hardness coming into my heart. So a powerful quote here from Ellen White, Testimonies, Volume 6, page 265 to 267. I cannot too strongly urge all our church members, all who are true missionaries, all who believe in what? The third angel's message. How many of you guys believe in the first, second, and third angel's message? Amen? These are powerful messages that are rallying cries for our church. So listen to this. All who turn away their feet from the Sabbath to consider the message of what chapter? The 58th chapter of Isaiah. The work of beneficence enjoined in this chapter is what work? 
The work that God requires his people to do at this time, it is the work of his own appointment. Amen? Is this not exciting? We've got the three angels' messages, and then we have this work of beneficence. Okay, just a couple more Bible verses and quotes. So 1 John 3, 17 and 18. But whoever has what everyone? This world's goods and sees his brother in need and does what? Shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in him? My little children, and let's read this last part together. Let us not love in word or in tongue, but in what? In deed and in truth. Amen? And here's a quote. And this cut me to the core when I first read it. So it's this. Review and Herald, June 26, 1894. If men would do their duty as faithful stewards of the Lord's goods, there would be no cry for bread, none suffering and destitution, none naked and in want. It is what, everyone? The unfaithfulness of men that brings about the state of suffering in which humanity is plunged. So why, why are these human rights abuses happening? Yes, we've got the devil. Yes, we've got sin. Yes, we've got the great controversy. But why are people in need? The unfaithfulness of men. This is talking about me right here. If those whom God has made stewards would but appropriate their Lord's goods to the object for which he gave to them, this state of suffering would not exist. And I think that this is very much talking to North American Christians but Christians all over the world, but North American Christians. Isn't this convicting? This is definitely convicting to me when I first read that quote. But you guys might be saying, ah, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, aren't we already doing enough? We have health, we have education, we have ADRA, we have the Dorcas Society, etc. Aren't we already doing enough? Why do we have to do anything else? I suggest to you, yes, we have a health education that is such a blessing. Yes, we have an education system that is such a blessing. But we need to do more through the power of the Holy Spirit. And God is calling us all today for his glory to do so. Yes, we have a wonderful education system. Yes, we have a health system. And I'm going to talk about what we're doing. But guys, we need to do more to serve this world and turn it upside down for God's glory. Amen? Amen. So first of all, let's talk about health care. What are we doing in regard to health care? We have something to be proud about in our health care system. The Seventh-day Adventist Church operates 175 hospitals around the world, amen, and 300 clinics. However, the 70 hospitals in the developing world are very much in need of resources. If you don't believe me, talk to Paul and Petra or other people in here probably as well. So I remember at Malamulo, we had no ICU, intensive care unit. We had no neonatal ICU. We only had two oxygen masks for hundreds of patients. What else didn't we have? We didn't have money. We didn't have workers. We didn't have water a lot of the times. The patients didn't have food. We just didn't have a lot. And you guys at Gimby, and this is a picture from Gimby that I took when I was visiting Paul and Petra over there. How many years were you guys looking for a doctor? 
They never found one. How many years were you there? Okay, so Paul just said, for the microphone's sake here, that there was a search at Gimby Hospital for a doctor for five and a half years. They found one for three months, and then he left. How many people do we graduate from Loma Linda every year? Hundreds, right, of medical personnel. There is a need. There is a need for people and also resources. A really amazing organization that I've worked with twice is Adventist Health International. How many of you guys have heard of it? AHI. It works in 21 countries. It has 26 hospitals, operates 67 clinics. But guys, we need to partner with organizations like this and send people, send resources, and really build up our healthcare system around the world. And I think Paul might talk a little bit more about these types of things in a coming seminar. But also, we need short-term. We need short-term trips and people going out there as well. I want to tell you a story from Haiti. So my family, since about 2003, 2004, we've been going every year to the country of Haiti on short-term mission trips. If you ever want to go, let me know, because going to Haiti is a real blessing. And some people say, and I know Paul in later seminar is going to talk about short-term trips and how to do them well, because you can do them not very well at times. But on this trip, my dad was down there, and he was working at an orphanage doing some medical stuff. One day, this Restavik, a child slave, her name was Esmalon, came to the orphanage. Either on purpose or not on purpose, we're not exactly sure, she had drank Clorox bleach. And it perforated or made a hole in her esophagus. In the United States, in the best intensive care unit, according to my father, this is a 90% mortality rate. So 9 out of 10 people die as a result of this. My parents were there. They knew it was serious. They took her to the hospital. It was a worn, run-down hospital. When they brought her into the room, um, when they would leave, my parents would leave, the nurse would take the oxygen off her and just wanted her to die and didn't want to waste the oxygen. Um, so my parents were like, oh, we're not going to leave her. We're going to stay here, and we're going to stay here all night. Okay? So what percentage mortality rate did I say in the United States? 90% mortality rate. My parents and my cousins decided to split up the night, and they spent the night praying to the Lord to save this young girl's life and crying and praying and crying. And I know my mom probably did a lot of the crying. She made it through the night. The next day, she was transferred to a hospital in Port-au-Prince, and she is alive and well today. Guys, because of a short-term mission trip and the Lord's mighty intervention, this girl is alive, and I saw her last year, and she just comes up and hugs you, and she's at an orphanage, and she's getting a Christian education. That is a blessing, amen? That's a person that Jesus Christ died for. Okay, so let's now look at education, what the Adventist Church is doing in regard to education. So the Seventh-day Adventist Church is operating right now 5,600 schools and 145 countries around the world. Amen? This is a blessing. How many of you guys have been blessed by Adventist education? Okay, great. And this serves about a million students. Adventist education is critical because it really does bring people to Jesus Christ. Let me tell you a couple stories. So first story, I teach at Southern Adventist University in Chattanooga. 
And one day, I went to the university church, and I, I just went in there, and I just sat down randomly next to this lady. I don't know why. I just sat down there. Just, I don't know. And so I turned to her, and we started talking. And I'm like, you know, I'm glad you're at church today. Do you usually come to church here? And we started talking, and then I found out this story. So a couple years before, she had decided to put her daughter in the local elementary school, Adventist Elementary School, Spalding, there at Southern. They were not Seventh-day Adventists at the time. The daughter was so excited with what she was learning at Bible class, she would come home every afternoon and tell her mom. And she did this for a couple weeks. So her mom got so excited about what the daughter was studying that she wanted to study it too. And she ended up taking Bible studies. And then she was baptized as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. Amen? And this is just one story of Adventist education affecting a family that can be multiplied around the world. There are numerous people that come to school at Southern that are not Seventh-day Adventists nor Christians. And I find this really exciting because it's an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. There was one girl from China, and she wasn't really that interested in spiritual things, and she was in my geography class. And at the end of the semester, she just came up to me with this big smile and just hugged me. None of my other students did that, but she did. And she was so excited because she had developed a love for God that semester. Amen? So Seventh-day Adventist education is a real outreach. However, many schools don't have adequate resources around the world. For example, this school right here in Malawi, they don't have electricity, they don't have computers, they don't have books, they don't have bathrooms, they only have one water spigot, which all of the children share. They don't have an auditorium, where are they? It's the rainy season and these kids are outside and it's cold, etc. The teachers told me they hadn't been paid in three months, okay? So yes, we have these schools, etc., but they need resources, resources that we can help them with. Okay, so there's human rights issues around the world. We've looked at a secular perspective. We've looked at a biblical perspective. We've looked at some of the ways that the Seventh-day Adventist Church is working right now. And in the coming seminars, we're going to be talking about other human rights issues more in depth and how we can practically get involved. But at this point, from my perspective, here are some general prescriptions for how the Seventh-day Adventist Church can arise and shine and through the power of the Holy Spirit really get involved in serving the world for God's glory. First of all, what everyone? Revival. I really hope that I haven't stressed you out during this seminar. Yes, there are issues, but don't think that I'm like calling you right now to go out and just save the world. Because who already has? Jesus Christ. And so what I'm calling you to, first and foremost, is to your knees. I'm calling you to your knees. I'm calling you to open up your Bible and study prayerfully the Word of God and just ask the Lord to change your heart. And then as a love response, say, Lord, what can I do for you? So revival. And revival involves coming together with other individuals as well, And not just individuals of your own race, but I want to see more racial unity in our church. Because if you read Acts, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, we've got all the races together, amen? And Petra is going to be talking more about that in a later session. Next, we need more Bible-based education. 
How many of you guys appreciated your religion classes in college or high school or whatever, if you've gone to a Christian institution? I suggest to you that every single class at a Seventh-day Adventist institution needs to have the Bible as the primary textbook. Amen? We need more Bible-based education that's not just academic, yet that's practical too. And the Lord has blessed at Southern in raising up an agriculture class, which I'm going to talk about on Monday, which I'm so excited about. Okay, so Bible-based practical education. Next, we need to target and involve youth. We need to target and involve youth. Um, I think of a friend of mine, Luther. The Lord impressed upon him to actually start an NGO and go over to, of all places, Afghanistan. Okay? Can you do things like this? Yes, when the Lord places a burden upon their heart. But we as a church need to get behind our youth. There's an amazing organization. It's a secular organization known as Ashoka. Anyone heard of Ashoka? Basically, Ashoka is an organization that scours the world for individuals with amazing ideas that actually implement ideas, and they fund those people and invest in those people. I think that we as a Seventh-day Adventist church need to scour the world for youth with amazing ideas and invest in those individuals. We need to invest in our youth. Next, we need more cultural exchanges. People outside of the United States need to come here, and we need to go there. We need more cultural exchanges. We need them for spiritual vigor to fight our apathy and our materialism. They need our resources, and also they need our checks on corruption and etc. We need more cultural exchanges. Next, and finally, we need to set our mind and our resources on things above. Our mind and our resources on things above. Paul's going to talk more about this in a coming seminar, but he sent me an article of a report in 2010 that the Seventh-day Adventist Church gives about $2 billion a year in tithe. But how much should we be giving? $14 billion. So $2 billion versus $14 billion. How are our hospitals doing? How are our schools doing? We need to set our mind and our resources on things above. And that's tithe. What if we were giving like a double tithe? Offerings, etc. Could you imagine the work that could happen around the world? Such a blessing. Okay, I want to conclude with two stories. So first of all, I went to Arise. How many of you guys have heard of Arise? Yeah? Blessing. Were you in the Arise area? Okay, you look really familiar. So I went to Arise, and at Arise, we had to go out and do door knocking. How many of you guys get real excited about knocking on doors of people you don't know and asking surveys? You do, that is amazing. At the time, I did not at all. And so at the beginning of our outreach session, I felt the Lord calling me to go to this road. You know how you get those outreach maps? You have all the roads. And I just really like the name Buttercup. And I just really felt the Lord calling me to Buttercup. My outreach partner didn't feel the same way, but we finally went to Buttercup. Okay, so we come into Buttercup, and we see this guy outside, and he's working on his car. 
And we come up to him, and we're kind of shy. Do you want to study the Bible with us? <laughs> and um, anyways, he says no. But I prayed yesterday that the Lord would send someone to study with my girlfriend because I want her to accept Jesus. And you said you'd prayed yesterday. My outreach partner, Ricky, and I looked at each other and we're like, really? No way. You know, this is so exciting. And so we um, ended up studying with Sandra. She was from Iraq, and it was a bonus because when we would study, she would cook Iraqi food, and it was really good. But anyways, the first study was on Daniel 2, and she just ate it up, talking about Babylon, etc. We went on to have further studies, further studies, further studies. We left. Someone else started studying. She ended up accepting Jesus Christ as her Savior. Amen. She ended up getting baptized into the Seventh-day Adventist Church. She ended up becoming the personal ministries director of her church. Amen. The next year, she actually went to Arise. And then she went to Andrews University and just graduated with her master's. So, is evangelism powerful? Is knocking on doors powerful? Amen. This was the first Bible study I'd ever had. The Lord was so gracious in that encouraging experience. However, let me share another story from the same road. Buttercup. So we go to this house, and we're knocking on doors, and this lady, like, creaks open the door. He's like, what do you want? And we could barely see her. She was smoking. She, she looked like a witch. It was scary. And we kind of gave her a pamphlet and said, see you later. And um, we left. The next week, we went back. I don't know why, but we did. So we went back. And she was like, what do you want? Kind of shut the door, and we're like, okay, we're never going back there again. It was Halloween time. They had really freaky decorations, like tombstones and gross things in the yard. Didn't really want to go back. So Ricky and I start walking away. However, we hear this voice calling after us about two minutes later, come back, come back. And we see this lady in pajamas with her hair flowing, just coming after us, and she looked like a witch. And so... Um, Anyways, we turned around, we went back, and she invited us into her home. So we went into her home, and first of all, it was really, really cold, okay? So it was super cold. And when we walked in there, there was trash about two feet high everywhere. So it was cold, it was, there was trash everywhere. She invited us to sit on the couch. Her um, granddaughter came in and sat next to us, and she said to us, Oh, look in the corner over there. Do you see my dead grandfather standing there? We're like, Oh. Okay, spiritualism was happening in this house. So it's cold, it's dirty, we have spiritualism. We talked to them for about five minutes. Ricky and I are super freaked out, and we end up praying with them and leaving. We go to Matt Para. Anyone know him? We go to our outreach coordinator, and we say, Matt, this happened. Do we have to go back? Do we have to go back next week? And he talked to us and um, said, yeah, you should go back. And you know what? You should clean their house. We're like, what? You want us to clean their house? He's like, yes, and I'll even come with you and clean. We're like, okay, fine. You know, we'll go back. We were freaked out. I mean, dead people are in the house. It's dirty. It's cold. So we go back the next week. We knock on the door, and this was really awkward. Prayerfully do this, you know. We knock on the door, and we said, hmm do you mind if we clean your house? <laughs> Never asked someone that before, you know, a stranger. And she said, yes, come right in. And we're like, okay. So we go into the kitchen, and no joke, my outreach partner washed dishes for four hours. Four hours he washed dishes. They gave me the task of going in the bottom of the refrigerator. It had goo about this thick and a mold on the top. They gave me this task. 
of sopping it out and cleaning it up. And I was like, whoa, the whole time. It was horrible. We were singing as we were doing this. You know, we were trying to praise the Lord. And she comes in and says, wow, that singing is amazing. My house feels so much warmer and there's light. And we're like, oh, (laughs) interesting experience. And so she was so thankful. And we left and we ended up studying the Bible with her. She ended up wanting to become a Seventh-day Adventist. And this wasn't the point. This was just Matt telling us, you need to go clean. So guys, my point here is this. Evangelism, is it important? The spoken word by itself, amen? However, it's also powerful, and the Lord is calling us to meet physical needs, be it cleaning houses, be it giving water, being it health care, being helping human trafficking victims, be it starting agriculture programs, meeting physical needs, and sharing an eternal need, a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? So the secular world, are they into human rights issues? As we as Seventh-day Adventists, should we be increasingly involved in human rights issues for God's glory? And ultimately, we should point the world to the ultimate human right, a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as we serve others, as we love others, they are drawn to our risen Savior, who is coming again soon. So how many of you guys want to be involved through the power of the Holy Spirit in pointing the world to the ultimate human right, Jesus Christ? Amen. So let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, it's just such a privilege to serve. It's such a privilege to talk about Jesus Christ because you, Jesus, are the reason for every good thing in this world. I just ask now that you fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Just fill us with your love. And as a response, may we go out into the world. May we be revived. And may we meet physical needs and sharing an eternal need, a relationship with Jesus Christ. Bless every single person in here. May they delight themselves in you. And please give them the desires of their heart. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.